Hey everyone, I am the Chosen One Legend here, as always joined by my co-host. Hi, I'm Kai, also known as Faskarine. And welcome back to the Bunch of Jokers podcast, where we're finally here to talk about Legends of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. It, it's been a long time coming, but I'm sure we have many thoughts, don't we, Kai? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I was just telling you, like, I was, I've been playing through this whole game, you know, I've got, like, I think near 200 hours now. Mm. There's so many thoughts through the entire game, I thought they'd be good to mention on the podcast. And I've completely forgotten all of them, because there's so many. <laughs> so, um, that's the current situation. <laughs> that's it, I mean, how do you break down a game with this much in it? it it's going to be a tough one, mm. and it's interesting, because, like, we both have a bit of a different perspective, because Kai literally just beat the game very recently, whereas I played it last, probably about two months ago. And also, Kai has gotten... Yeah almost 100% in the game, whereas I have just done the main stuff. So, coming at this from different angles, which should be interesting. Yes. And we will break down into different segments. There'll be timestamps in the description below, so we can make sure we cover all the highlights of the game. And I should mention as well, because it's been a little while, this will be a spoiler discussion, so do make sure you have beaten Tears of the Kingdom before you watch this. But other than that, are you ready to begin, Kai? Yep, I'm good to go. I'm currently playing Tears of the Kingdom as we speak, because I'm grinding <laughs> out some of this completionist stuff. You get those taluses, Kai, I believe in you. <laughs> I am, I've just started. <laughs> <laughs> well then, let's get things started with, well, just sort of, before we go into the details, how did you find Tears of the Kingdom in general? What are your sort of overall impressions of the game? I'm guessing you enjoyed it. No, I actually hated it. I've been seething for the last 195 hours worth of gameplay. Rubbish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, it, it's felt really good. Um, obviously, going into the game, I, I actually had a lot of doubts mm. at first. Uh, you know, there was the popular thing of, oh, it's the same map, that's kind of weird. Uh, is it going to be that new? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of understood that, and on top of that, I was thinking, like, you know, I, I I love Breath of the Wild. That's still probably my favourite game in terms of gameplay up until this point. Um, but I wasn't feeling confident with this one. Uh, and yeah, now I just can't put it down. Uh, <laughs> because it's so good. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, it feels... I don't know how you found it in terms of exploring the world, but for me it kind of didn't feel like the same map in, in some weird way. It felt like I was, you know... I felt so disoriented for the first, like, 50 hours of gameplay. Yeah, I, I honestly um, completely agree with you, and not just in terms of the new locations, you know, the sky and the depths and whatnot, but even just Hyrule itself, and we'll get more into this later. I was surprised by how fresh it all felt. Maybe that's down to the new gameplay mechanics, and certain ones, again, we're going to dive into, but... Because we, I, I listened back to some of our older podcasts where we were, you know, waiting for the game, reacting to trailers, and we both did... And a lot of people in the community had this feeling of, it's the same world, you add, you add some islands in the sky, but how much has changed, really? But mm. it didn't. It doesn't feel like that at all when playing the game. Like, I, I, I have some problems with it, and I think as more time has passed on, I feel like I've maybe got a bit more negative than my initial reactions. Like, I still love the game, I thought it was fantastic, but you know, I've sort of had time to think about some things, compare it to Breath of the Wild 1 more. But overall, like, there's no denying, this is a fantastic game, and it just 
does everything that a sequel should do. So, uh, God, I had a great time with it. I mean, I put about 140 hours into it myself, so uh, I, I certainly can't complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've both put plenty of time into it, and it's mm. not perfect, obviously, but, uh, oh boy, it's up there. You know, it's uh, it's got a whole lot of good to it. It definitely so. is. Yeah. And let's just get things started then. Let's talk about the world of Hyrule a little bit more. And you know, actually, seeing as we brought that up, and we've been talking about the similarities... Of course, let's talk about Hyrule itself now, the the main overworld, which is the same as Breath of the Wild, technically, except it really doesn't feel like it. And I think part of that is the caves, right? Like, all these cave mm-hmm. systems that open up through Hyrule, which completely changed how you go through it. And they can, some of them can take a long time to get through, right? <laughs> yeah, they're kind of underrated, but caves are a game changer. Mm. I remember when Breath of the Wild came out and people were kind of gushing about how big the world is, myself included, and kind of going like, oh, look, it's, look how much bigger than Skyrim's map it is. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that was a big selling point is how it was bigger than Skyrim. Uh, but then it was like, uh, well, hang on, Skyrim has quite a small overworld comparatively because it has a massive set of caves and dungeons and stuff that Breath of the Wild didn't have. Right. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom, I mean, obviously those caves still aren't as big as Skyrim's or as plentiful, but... Well, they probably are as plentiful, but they're they're Mm. not as long. But, um, you know, this game definitely solves that issue of it's not just a big overworld. Um, They are adding layers to it, which come in the form of the caves. Um, uh, Yeah, I enjoyed them. They could sometimes feel a little bit claustrophobic, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. They were probably going for that feeling. Yeah. Um... So it was it was a good time to go through them, you know. I have got all the bubble frogs and gone through all of that. So, God, I'm not there yet, Kai. I'm I'm sure it's going to be an endeavor. But uh, <laughs> that was a fun system. Mm-hmm. I really liked that way of making sure there's always, you know, some caves had like shrines in them or different puzzles and treasures, but there was always one of those frogs in there, so you knew there was something to search out and some sort of bonus you had to find. And some of them are really creative of how you get manage to get to them especially with like you know Mm. different enemy types in the caves and it's like some of them could be an endeavor the ones underneath or sort of underneath um lookout landing you know those caves go on for a while those are devious (laughs) yeah oh they're easily the biggest ones in the game there's not even a competition there yeah yeah and I, i guess in some ways i did get a bit tired of the whole you having to create new sledgehammers basically to mine your way through the rocks at certain points like yeah that in that particular those caves underneath lookout landing that became a bloody bother but uh (laughs) generally (laughs) when you sort of got into the rhythm of doing it it wasn't too bad and it was especially as you got you know later upgrades you had more bombs you could use if you got too tired of it you got your upgrades with um uh the, the goron ability and you know it made it a lot easier to sort of take those down as you went on it became less of a hassle which it should do because you know it's the mm-hmm. sense of progression and things that were difficult at the start of the game becoming easier later on so uh yeah in general the case system was pretty good and also i feel like part of it was like include the towns themselves where most of them are the same from the previous games but there's always something new to it you know like kakariko village had the whole gimmick with like the rings around it it really felt like time had progressed and the village wasn't in the exact same state it was 
back in Breath of the Wild, to the extent that it always felt completely fresh. Did you feel the same about those? Yeah, I, I agree um, on the most part. I think that some of the towns, uh, I think Rito Village comes to mind as well as Goron City, did feel basically the same. Right, I'll give you those, uh, but yeah. Then the, you know, but then, for example, Goron City, you look at the immediate surroundings and all of that is very different. Mm. Um, but yeah, things like Kakariko Village being different was cool. Um, Hateno having a whole new style I thought was amazing. Yes. The four, like, non-story, uh, you know, or sorry, like, non-whatever you want to call them, uh, temple-based uh, mm. towns, yeah. I thought were all phenomenal. Um, yes. You know, like, yeah, like I say, Hateno had some really fun side quests, uh, Kakariko was good, Lookout Landing was a great new inclusion, I think that was a perfect, like, starting middle area that you can sort of have as your home base. Right. Um, but I, I think the real highlight for me was Lurlin Village. Yeah. Uh, which I did. Uh, that was one of the last things I did in terms of, like, completing everything. Same, um, honestly. So that was very liberating to, like, go through with all my incredibly strong equipment and, uh, <laughs> you know, go through all of that. It was it was really good. So, you know, overall that was great. I like how the stables had more to than this time. Um, yeah, overall it did feel like they added a lot more to most of the settlements. Yeah, and like even and we we can't we can't break down everything because we'd be doing a ten hour discussion here. But like <laughs> I think that sort of example with like the settlements really applies to the entire world. Like how everything from like just the new gimmicks, the new character interactions across the entire map made it feel unique. Whether it was like you know the the, the random stable where all the guys were just in their underwear because they thought Princess Zelda had told them to do that. <laughs> and it's all these sorts of bits of humour and different personalities where no matter what area of the map you're in, there was something different, some sort of event or side quest that made you explore it in a different way than you did in Breath of the Wild, which I think is overall why it never felt too repetitive to me, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, everything did feel fresh. Um, none of it felt too familiar. I mean, I've familiarised myself a lot with Breath of the Wild's map. Mm. For example, um, there's that Breath of the Wild guesser thing, like GeoGuessr, but for the for the map. Yes, um, yeah. And I can consistently get max points on that. Like, <laughs> for some reason, I can ace it. Yeah. But then, whenever I've tried doing, like... I don't know if there is one for Tears of the Kingdom, but I've tried doing similar things where it shows you a bit of environment and you recognise it. And I can't do it for Breath of the, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know <laughs> what it is. I don't know if it's psychological or what, but, like, I suck at it. Um, so, yeah, the, the, they have done a very good job of making the world feel very unique. And, of course, over time, you slowly familiarise yourself with it, and it doesn't quite have the same charm of mm. everything being new. But right. The charm of everything being remixed is something that only a sequel could pull off. So I, I really have to respect it for that. Like, yeah, I think they did a good job of making the whole world feel absolutely new with all the remixes and additions. It was just yeah, really vast, really good stuff. Definitely. And of course, on top of the returning world, we have the two new locations, first of which is the sky. And I, you know, I really love the whole idea of the sky. I mean, just, just in the first place, just visually and on like a technological scale, mm. just being able to sort of fly up to these islands, see everything down below you, and we're, we're going to get to this later, but being able to dive straight from the sky to the depths is always bloody ridiculous. Oh, like, yeah. 
<laughs> that just messes with my mind. But um, those Lome labyrinths, goddamn! Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a feeling. <laughs> but um, it, I, I really love the sort of the different environments. They all have very unique puzzles. I did think it was maybe a bit less impressive than I was expecting in some ways. And I think part of that is it became very clear as you, especially as someone who did all the shrines and whatnot. I didn't quite do 100% like you, but I did do all the shrines. Um, <laughs> it became clear how many of them are repeats of the exact same template, right? Did you feel that as well? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they often felt like repeats. And honestly, it didn't feel like there was much sky at all. I mean, honestly, no. obviously there was a lot of it, but like... You know, I'm just looking at the map in my game now, and you see how empty it all is. Mm. Um, and obviously, it can't be fully filled in; otherwise, you know, the land would totally be like covered in shadows the whole time. But yeah, <laughs> it did kind of feel empty a lot of the time, and like, oh, okay, this is basically just the sky equivalent of like maybe two or three caves worth. You know, yeah. that's that's the kind of equivalent I was looking at. Is it didn't feel significant. It was fun. You know, what we did get was great. I just wanted more of it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that's, honestly, that's kind of why I was a bit disappointed we didn't get DLC, because I feel like that would have been the perfect time to add a big new island in the sky or a big new dungeon in the sky or something. Like, there's space mm. for it. But um, I still, I really like the, just the vibe of the sky and being up there. I love, like, the music as you're gliding and just, again, like I said before, the feeling of diving down to the land is never not cool. It's definitely a really good aspect i just i don't think it's quite as big as i was expecting from the initial trailers um you know i don't think there was as much to the sky as perhaps the game made you think there was but yeah i agree but they're not that significant by comparison to some of the other things they introduced yeah it's like it's a neat addition and there's some really fun stuff there and i think the best stuff of it comes to do with like some of the involvement with the dungeons which we'll get to later but um yeah I think part of the reason Rivo, there wasn't as much to it as we thought, was because there was an entire layer of the game we had no clue existed to be in the depths. Like, how did they keep that a secret? Jesus! <laughs> yeah, that was kind of crazy. I yeah. didn't really hear anything about that going into it. Uh, even playing the game, you know, like way, way after everyone else, because I, I started the game, uh, I think like a month after it came out. Yeah. Um, even up to that point, I think I'd heard of the depths, but I had no idea what that meant in mm. any degree. Uh, so yeah, when I realised it was the whole map, I was like, oh my god, this is <laughs> insane. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously you do come to learn that it is a, you know, it is literally a mirror world, so it's not like they've made an entirely new one, mm. but like... Still, that's a whole, that's a whole world still, you know? Like, that's not anything short, like... Yeah, like, wow. I, um, it's, it's crazy because, like, it, it is similar to the sky. You do start to notice how a lot of it is the same after a certain point, you know. So it's not as impressive as making literally another Hyrule. But I think when you combine the depths and the sky, that is what makes it, neither of them feels too bad because you've got the other one and these two aspects to it, which really add mm -hmm. a lot. And I mean, even the fact that, figuring out that the shrines and the light routes are connected. It's such a clever idea. And it, even to the fact that they're reverse names, which is genius. Like, there's such a level yeah. of <laughs> satisfaction of just figuring out how the depths works for yourself. Like, I love that the game didn't advertise it, even though they absolutely could have and arguably should have in a sense of marketing. But 
it was such a great thing to like figure out for yourself and like the first time you dive down there and that music that plays as you enter and it goes pitch black it's bloody terrifying <laughs> <laughs> literally that nightmare fuel <laughs> it's... yeah and then you're like oh my god I'm down here and I can't see anything oh my god how do I throw oh my yeah. god okay bright bloom sleep <laughs> Is that a frox? What the hell is that? It's like, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think there'd be It's chaos when you first go down there. Yeah, the first time I encountered that new enemy type, I was like, what the heck is that? And then you get repeat bosses <laughs> down there as well, like Shaw. It's, uh... <laughs> mm. I do think it's, um... It, there's nothing in this game... And you could argue what the, one thing this game lacks is anything quite to the level of the whole Guardians of the first game, I think, and the terror of that. There's one enemy that comes close, oh, yeah. which we'll get to, but um, but I think the main thing replacing the sort of the fear of the guardians, the depths kind of does that job for you, and you know much like the guardians, mm. when you get later on and you're you know you've got such you've got full hearts and loads of armor and you're fighting Lionels down there, like the whole gimmick of not being able to recover hearts becomes a non-issue really. You know the difficulty fades away, but it's still such a neat idea, and I do have fond memories of packing up my my two uh, fans to the joystick and just gliding through the depths, you know. <laughs> it was a journey. Oh, the hover bike, my beloved. <laughs> You've saved me so much sanity in this game. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you raise a good point about that. It's like, it feels like it's a different fear to the um, Guardians in mm. that, like, the, the fear of the depths isn't of this enemy that's gonna like pop out and kill you at any given point with a scary piano it's not like a jump scare yeah it's more of a fear of the unknown of like you know after a while you come to find the depths isn't actually that scary you know froxes can still be run away from and yeah everything else can be and it's, it's not that bad but when you first go down there you know <laughs> uh, i don't think it's just me who's thinking like, oh my god anything could be down here and we have no idea this is freaky yeah, uh, I don't even have a fear of the dark or the unknown or anything like that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like, God, I have no idea what's going to happen down here. I, I didn't want to go down there the early game because I thought I was just going to die. Yeah, I, I skipped um, the depths for like the first 40 hours or so of gameplay outside of the initial side quest yeah. in there. Not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very daunting. And so I think that's a very interesting kind of environment they put upon you. Yeah, um, you know all the different things that they deliver in the depths, like um, you know the underground mines, the equivalents to the world, like you say, like some of the enemies. Um, I've noticed actually as I've been going through this, um, Henox is in the overworld. About half of them, I want to say, have uh, Stalnox equivalents in the underworld, mm. in the depths. So um, it's interesting how they do things like that. Right. So I do like how. That and you know, and the Sky World, which has most of the uh, Zonai dispensers. Um, yeah. I think those are two really interesting mechanics in that they they give their own reason to go to them that you're kind of incentivized for. So um, yeah, yeah, it was really enjoyable stuff to be honest. Um, going into the depths, I think they they had a lot. Yeah, and there were some sort of like you said some unique locations with all the different mines and you know the whole side quest with the Yiha Clan finding their hideouts and. Of course, chasing Master Kogo, mm -hmm. which is always a joy. Uh, so, <laughs> that was definitely... Oh, I have to ask you something. Oh, yeah? Did you get all the Yiga outfit? I did, yes. I got the full set. And did you ever talk to a Yiga clan member while wearing it all? I can't... I feel like I did, but I can't remember. What what happens? Remind me. So, there, there is a specific, I think, set of side quests in the Gerudo region that... Um, 
handle some of it. I but did that. Any yeah. Yiga Clan member in the depths or at wherever else, hmm. if you go up to them in your full Yiga Clan outfit, uh, they will just like talk to you. They'll give you like the advice if they, you know, if they normally give you advice. Right. And they'll just be like, "Can you clear off? I'm trying to wait to like ambush Link." <laughs> um, and they don't attack you. You can just walk off. Yeah. I... Um, and similarly, if you try and fight uh, Koga in the Yiga Clan outfit, he goes, I can see through that disguise. So they actually <laughs> account for it, which is kind of cool. That's cool. I did journey through the... favourite parts. <laughs> yeah, I did use it to like walk through the Yiga hideout at, at their clan back in upper levels Gerudo. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Mm. It's definitely... Like, de- the world of this, it really was like, with the depths and the sky, it was unique enough. Like, it's not just... Oh, Breath of the Wild again. Like, sure, it's not an entirely new map, but they made it work, absolutely, I think. Like, it was a lot of fun to explore. Yeah. And I still haven't done all of it, even. And you know? Know... <laughs> yeah, and you know what I think about all of that in terms of the new, you know, the changes and bits like that, is mm-hmm. that this game doesn't feel unnecessary or, like, forced. No. Everything that the game introduces feels good and it feels like it's very welcome there, rather than just being forced for a sequel. Um, but at the same time, you think, oh, shouldn't they have just included it in the original because it's the same map? Trust me, if they just made Tears of the Kingdom off the bat in 2017 with no <laughs> open world prequel to that, like, it would have been too much. Yes. I think it genuinely would have been too much, especially when you go into, like, you know, all your abilities and all the other mechanics. Like, Breath of the Wild, people are still learning new things about seven years in at this point, or six years, however long it's been. Like, can you imagine having all the Tears of the Kingdom stuff on top of that? No, Tears of the Kingdom works. This world is so big that, like, they couldn't have done all that in one game. They needed a sequel. Yeah, absolutely. There's just... There's so much to it. And a lot of that, of course, like... I think some of the biggest changes and some of the reasons why this game took so long to develop, even, is the gameplay mechanics, which, uh... Let's transition into that now, shall we? Let's talk a little bit more about the gameplay... And of course, the main thing to talk about is Link's new abilities. He's sort of four new, replacing the Sheikah Slate abilities from the last game, all tied to his new arm. And, uh, should we start things off with the Ultra Hand Kai? Like, <laughs> yeah, let's get it, get the big one out of the way. Oh, yeah. the, like, I am not a creative person, so I barely scratched the surface of this, of this ability, but God, you can do some ridiculous shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really want to do more of it in some mm. way, because I, I, I also don't think I've done too much with it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. I, I think Ultra Hand of just being able to make anything Gary's Mod style is like... <laughs> again, obviously it's done before, literally Gary's Mod is an example, but to do it in this kind of open world that is catered to it, yeah. rather than it just being its own engine, is like crazy cool. That is that is unheard of. Mm. Um just to this level of of being able to make whatever you want and interact with the physics in the world. You were mentioning about that length of time earlier, and I I believe they spent an entire year after the game had been completed just testing the, the physics I and can, nothing else. Yeah, I can only imagine, because the thing is, I never really, like... I, got, I didn't play around with it too much, but it never felt glitchy or broken to me either. Like, you can do some crazy stuff with it, and I'm sure with the, the right person can find ways to break it. But it all felt like everything did what you expected it to do. Nothing felt like, you know, if, if you wanted to create something, you knew exactly how to do it and it would work the way you expect it to. It wasn't jammy or 
just like off it it's remarkably polished isn't it it is it's it's insane so it makes mm. sense why it took them so long because they just wanted to make sure that it was perfect and uh i mean yeah it's it's so good um, yeah really really good sort of feeling to just be able to make cars whenever you want and to be honest i think the best part is that like we've both said we're not the most creative when it comes to that sort of thing mm. um you know a lot of the time you think, well, I could make a car, but like, it's probably the time it takes me to make a car, I could just run or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but then they cater for that. You know, they give you, um, sort of combining these into one, they give you auto build. Um, mm, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they do that with you. Loads of the shrines are purely based around inspiring you yeah. to use the different Zonai devices. You know, they have a, a, a thing de- dedicated to fan planes or dedicated to. Uh, you know, using the sleds in the sand or whatever. It's like they they really do their best to try and draw the inspiration out of you rather than just giving you it and then not really prompting you to use it much, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's what I was most impressed with is that they actually integrated it into the world with good use uh, and kind of created their own unique puzzles out of it rather than it just existing. I, um, so that was the part I really liked about it. I definitely agree, because I, really I think this is the perfect moment to mention the shrines even, because they're so uniquely tied with Link's new mechanics, and it yes. they, they really are done so perfectly to act as these natural tutorials, even like the ones that teach you things like how to throw for the first time, you know, like I learned that from a shrine. Yeah. It's not something the game teaches you otherwise. So it's, um, they really went out of their way, I think in this game, like there weren't any... I feel like Breath of the Wild had a few sort of audible shrines where it's just like, okay, this is just annoying. You know, the one where like the ball through the maze and that one, oh god. But um, <laughs> I didn't feel like anything on that level. Like everything felt like it showed some unique way of how to use the abilities, and it never got repetitive. Like I never felt like any of them were just doing the same as what Breath of the Wild did because there were all these new mechanics that completely changed the gameplay. Like. Every shrine was able to feel unique. And now more than 120 in this game. Even if some of them are basic, you come and get the thing. Even still, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a look and it, it like almost every shrine is a tutorial in some way or another. It's introducing yeah. to a Zonai device or even just a mechanic of like, you know, here's a thing just about throwing. Here's one just about sneaking. Here's one about archery like they mm. they have so many tutorial ones and i i understand if people would have complaints with that but i think it's a good thing that they've sort of almost repurposed a lot of shrines to do that um mm. and all of the blessing ones the strange thing is there are still puzzle shrines but they're not sh- puzzles within the shrine most of the time yeah they have puzzles leading up to the shrine and then the inside is a blessing and it's like you've already done the puzzle to get in Right, uh, which yeah. I thought was really funny more than anything else. Um, but yeah, it, it was super interesting how that's what they did with it, and the fact that almost every single one focuses on, you know, all, all of the runes, but Ultra Hand especially, and all the different things you can do with it was uh, was quite fun. Yeah, and of course, in traditional Breath of the Wild fashion, using these abilities, you can completely break the shrines and do them in unintended ways. Still, like it doesn't matter <laughs> if it's meant to be teaching you a certain way. If you want to just screw with time and completely undo the whole thing in a weird manner, you can do it. <laughs> like, yeah, I have a great example of that mm-hmm. with uh, what I did for multiple shrines. Is um, 
just the simple trick of if you need to get an item lifted up somewhere, which happened a surprisingly high amount of times, uh, you can simply just br hold it up with a ultra hand and wave it about for a little bit. Mm. Then you climb up to the place you need to be at, and um, you just uh, recall. Yeah, like you recall the item back up to where you were waving it about earlier, and you can bring it up in an instant. Um, really effective stuff, to be honest. And and it was cheese. It wasn't the intended mechanic, <laughs> but I think they obviously went into this knowing that people weren't going to play the intended way. That's kind of the point of the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just talk about recall a bit more. Like like you say, recall is great ability. Like it's it absolutely breaks the game, but in a way that's one hundred percent intended to do so. And it, it's the kind of mm. thing where I, I can't wait to see our friend Sam play the game. Because I know he's going to do some ridiculous stuff, and he's never going to be the intended way, because that's how <laughs> he rolls. But the game is built for that, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It's going to be really interesting. And, uh, yeah, Recall did some funky stuff. I think it was cool. Um, I think, in general, the whole, like, repurposing of uh, the runes in the game is interesting. You know, the first game's runes were good. Mm. Don't get me wrong, they were all really cool, um, but they sort of felt, I don't know, uh, they, they felt like they served a different purpose. Uh, I would sort of argue they were exploration-based. Yes. You know, um, the bomb rune was for, you know, basically was there as a default weapon whenever you didn't have a good one. Um, kind of overpowered. Uh, you know, Magnesis is basically the same as Ultra Hand, but you can't create things. Cryonis was for getting across water. Mm. Um, all of it was for exploring a little bit easier. Whereas the runes in this game, I would say, are more creativity-oriented. You know, they don't help you get somewhere easier. They help you make the tools to get somewhere easier. Right. You know, they sort of put that choice in your own hands. Rather than making cryonis blocks to get across an ocean, they give you the ability to make a boat that you mm. can then use anywhere. Um, so it just sort of adds an extra layer of autonomy for the player. Yeah. Um, and again, I love the runes from the first game, but these ones just blow them out of the water in terms of usability. Yeah. Uh, as much as I miss the bomb rune, because dear <laughs> god, it would have been useful in oh, this game. Yes. <laughs> Yonobo basically fills it, and there are bomb flowers. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, sort of like, Ascend is very much an example of that. It's very much a sort of go about how. You... It is kind of an exploration tool, but it really is used to, like, get yeah. through things in a different way. Like,. First of all, just pure convenience, of course, of, you know, the fact there's more verticality in this game in general, it's very useful. But it's it's also, like, if you combine sort of, like, reversing time with ascension, like, that can break many puzzles, you know. There's, there's sort of perfect ways you can combine stuff. And ascend is just yeah. a very convenient tool I found all around. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, um, believe it or not, I mean, we'll get to this later, but it was a lifesaver for me against uh, Gleox, actually. That was my uh, strategy, which we'll get to. Right, interesting. So, um, yeah, Ascend was, Ascend was really cool. Yeah, I think it suits considering... I mean, at first I was thinking, oh, it's because of all of the sky structures. Hmm. Uh, that's what I originally pinned the purpose of it for. I would actually say, like, yeah, it has more of a... Um, multi-purpose, but, but specifically for getting out of caves. Yes. I think they probably had it, you know, like, there is a lot more verticality in the game in general, not necessarily in the sky. Uh, caves are a great example of that, as well as various places in the depths. Mm. Um, you know, I think it was just a good ability to fit the niche that the other runes were missing. 
Yeah, there was, um, see, I, I think it works. There were some creative uses, like how you that one time you had to use it to get into a tower, for example, by going underneath the caves. You know, that was there's yeah. very sort of clever puzzle uses like that. And fuse is a very interesting one because hmm. it's like I, I feel like I didn't even scratch the surface of what you can do with it. Like I saw someone fuse a minecart to a shield, and then you can shield surf, and it's like you're surfing on the yeah. on wheels. You know, I didn't even think of that. So, um, I things like using the sort of the mushrooms that you can attach to your shield to confuse and stuff. I really loved the um, versatility of it, replacing like the fire arrows, for example, and having you go about mm. creating elements that way. I I do have a kind of a criticism with it, which is that I think it made the fact that the weapons relied on fuse to be good quality was kind of a hassle in this game. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I felt like I, I was in Breath of the Wild. You defeat a Lionel, and you pick up loads of good weapons. In this game, you beat a Lionel, you pick up crap weapons and be expected to fuse to make it good. And it, I kind of wish that step wasn't there, but I liked it otherwise. What Did you did you find that problem at all, Kai? I, I do agree, yeah. I think that they... I mean, already one issue that Breath of the Wild had was that they very rarely uh, incentivized fighting enemy mm. camps, you know, the only incentive was if you were trying to upgrade very specific bits of equipment. Yeah. Uh, and even then it was questionable. Uh, and this game, it does kind of have the same effect where you don't feel incentivized to attack a lot of enemy camps because they're not going to give anything. And it's even less this time, you know, they will give you crappy weapons rather yeah. than decent ones. Mm. So even that reward is gone. Um, and obviously that was because it wanted you to use um, Fuse, that was the point. But, uh, yeah, I, I do agree that it can be kind of demoralising to an extent. Um, to see, just see, like, everything is a ruined weapon, nothing is actually good anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I do agree on that. Um, I think the, the idea of fuse in general, though, is obviously brilliant. Yes. Um, Agreed. You know, being able to fuse anything to anything and create all these kind of wacky effects. Um, all of it is really cool, and I also think I've only scratched the surface... Um, but yeah, I think it's a good mechanic. They just made a world decision that they thought would suit, but in fact was just a little bit annoying. Yeah. You know, every single one of my fuses has basically been uh, attaching one weapon to a second weapon because Same. neither of them are good enough on their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and it, I... it kind of it came out a bit funny. I pa agree. Part of it is my gameplay style as well. Like I'm way too stingy to fuse it with monster parts, which is what it wants you to do. But I'm like. I might yeah. need these to upgrade something or to sell, or, you know. <laughs> and it's the same with like the Zonai the Zonai capsules are a great idea for being able to build stuff on the go. And I was way too stingy to really make use of them often, which is just a me problem. That's not mm. the game's fault. That's just me. But um, <laughs> but fuse. I did the same for monster parts. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but fuse is a really fun idea, and like again, from the simple, basic idea of like the elements to like the. The weirdly creative stuff you can do with it, like like attaching the eyes to make them homing on arrows, or I can't remember what it was, a site you can attach to make them fly further, which one of the puzzles, I think it was a shrine puzzle, taught you as well. Oh yeah, mm. key swings. Yes. Um, weirdly enough, I, I don't know, if, I, don't, I, I never remembered that tutorial, I literally only found out about the key swing thing because I was watching a video on the game, mm. and I was like, wait, that's a mechanic? I I don't know when that was taught because it, I 
I mean, obviously, it's in the web, it's in the item description. I just never read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I think I don't remember exactly how I found it out, but there's a certain puzzle. It's in like a cave, and it's to open up a shrine, and you have to shoot something for a distance. And I was like, "This is too far. I can't do this." Oh, but I think yeah. there's like an, I think there's like an NPC nearby who told you, or like a journal you could find that had it written down, or something like that, which was, um, but. That's an example of yeah. like how many journals down there are written that have combinations that I have no clue about. Like <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty. Mm. So I do love the the idea of fuse uh, in general and how it was used for creativity at the very least is a uh, very fun. Plus it's it's just cool to have like a double long stick and have an extra long stick. You know it's <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> oh, and of course but... my my favorite uh, mm-hmm. fuse in the game was probably getting my shield and attaching a Bolson Construction Company uh, what's it called? The uh, stands oh, they have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was very fun to just face enemies with that. Yeah. Uh, and they just they just stopped attacking me to adore, you know, the um the Bolson. Can you blame Hudson them? or whatever it was, I don't know <laughs> which one it was. Yeah, so they just they just really loved that construction company. Um so yeah, that was that was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, were there any particular like quality of life gameplay changes from Breath of the Wild to Tears of the Kingdom that stood out to you? In, uh, I mean, throwing is big. Yes, um, I think they had to include that for Bright Bloom Seeds. Like having something that was further than dropping but didn't make you use your arrows is important, especially when they add um the what's it called the model buds. Yeah, into the game. Agreed. Yeah. Um. So things like that are really good. That that was a good gameplay mechanic. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else existed off the top of my head in this game. Yeah, like, I wrote down <laughs> general gameplay refinements in my notes, and I was like, what was I thinking when I wrote this down? Because I can't remember. But I know there are, like, <laughs> even small things like how the UI has changed, and it's now, it's, it's, like, it's changed the yeah. orientation of the, of the, like, navigation for the items and stuff. It's small details, but it it's definitely feels nice. And I like that. It gives you like the upgrades from the DLC of the first game, like travel medallions you can get in the game, three of them, and the following your path uh, yeah. and all that. It's in general, it feels like they did take, they did learn lessons from Breath of the Wild, and like even small things like you can now, when you're adding things to your to hold to hold a bunch of items, you can now remove things individually rather than having to drop everything if you make a mistake. It's it's like the little yeah, tweaks. They did pay cool. attention to those, I think, is worth noting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They they did a really good job with that. Um, one of the other ones was... Um... Oh, why has it gone out of my head now? <laughs> uh... There's a lot in this game. I, I just had it in my head. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, I don't know, they did, they did a lot of good things. Oh, yeah, that was it, is when you're throwing something, you can sort it by most used. Yes. Uh, so you don't have to go scrolling all the way through the menu for bombs. Uh, yeah, really, really useful features. Just bits like that. Um, I think touching on the DLC might be a good idea. Is that like, well, the DLC from Breath of the Wild, where mm. the fact that it is all included here, including the, um, uh, you know, all of the gear and stuff like the, the, yeah, whatever the amiibo exclusives. Right. Um, all of that was really cool. I liked how you know. They did include all of that content in there, and it didn't have to rely on you using Amiibo. Mm. The only real appeal Amiibo have is other specific things like uh, your sailcloth um, yeah. design. 
That's um, true. But yeah, I like how they did that. Is how they added it as treasure in the depths, and then there was obviously the stuff with Robbie. Um, I think that was a good way of doing it. You know, um, it, it was good that they didn't put it behind a paywall and and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. They, they added a lot of good changes. That was one of them. Can't really complain about it. Also, the UI looks really good. Also, uh, special, menus, so. yeah, and special shout out to the fact it carries over your horses from Breath of the Wild. That was a nice surprise. Ah, you yeah. have to use your old companions. That was very pleasant. Yeah, <laughs> I have two Eponas now. <laughs> they are both the amiibo. <laughs> Into the multiverse, it's happening. It's beginning in Zelda now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I literally just have two Epona that are the exact same. So that's very funny. Um. <laughs> So but, I can just choose which one I have. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's let's talk a bit about like the enemy types, and we got some new ones. Um, like even first of all, I want to mention even the bokoblins and that your standard enemies have new moves, like how they charge at you and swing with your, their horns and stuff. Which that yeah. was a nice detail, which I didn't expect to add. Um, mixed up a little bit more, but I was surprised by quite how many new enemies were added from like the caves and the depths and just bloody Gleox, which are terrifying, you know, there was, there's so much in this game, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's probably the biggest complaint people had about Breath of the Wild, if you True. exclude the stupid people talking about weapon durability. Hmm. Um, and it was that, you know, there is no enemy variety. You fight Bokoblins, you fight Moblins, and you fight Les Alphos, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that was obviously a huge issue. They didn't have that many attack patterns. They all did the same thing. Sort of d disincentivized going to enemy camps even more. Yeah. In this game, it's like, okay, well, even those returning enemies have all new attack patterns. Uh, you know, the goblins will start to headbutt you and they'll rush you. Um, so that was really cool, is to see, oh, they actually do new things now. Mm. Uh, but yeah, then all the new enemies, like your horriblins in the caves and your... Um, What's it called? The mini froxes. I, I, I like those little critters. They're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind uh, of adorable. Yeah, and then adding... Yeah, they were, yeah. And then adding new, like, <laughs> bosses, like the Gleox we mentioned, and that sort of thing was fun. Uh, so overall, they did a much better job with that, and it does feel like there's suitable uh, variety in the enemy types in this game, which is very good. Yeah, I, I really liked like-likes being in this game as well. Like, they're, they're classic Zelda enemy. We kind of got... Mm. a I can't remember what they're called, but like the Gib oh Gibdos, we we'll Gibdos back as well, which were fun. Oh um, yeah, Gibdos, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, really a good variety, and you said you had like, did you have like a story with a Gleok you mentioned or something, like how you fought those? Oh, uh, the, with the Gibdos, I did. Yeah. Oh, Gibdos. So the first time, so I I uh, I was very early in the game. I'd only done one of the temples, the Wind mm. Temple. And I was just doing a bunch of random exploration. Yeah. I was just doing some stuff in the depths, near the castle, you know, whatever. Um, I eventually stumbled upon a certain location that you're not meant to get to until the end <laughs> of the game, obviously. Um, but during that, just before you get to the end, you do encounter some Gibdos down there, whereas the only other place Gibdos appear is in uh, the Gerudo region and in the depths there, obviously. Right. Um, so... Underneath Hyrule Castle, like right as you're about to go into the final boss, was my first encounter with Gibdos. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, what are these things? They're probably like really high level enemies, like the Gloom Hands or whatever, which we will talk about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I freaked out thinking they were really high level enemies. I had to like read up on them and, you know, uh, well, I, as in like I pulled out my compendium. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I was like, oh, they're, they're weak to um, Dazzle Fruit or whatever it's called. That's my main way of attacking them. Um, then I got to the Gerudo region like a hundred hours later and I realized, oh, they're, they're like, they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like regular enemies. Uh, you know, and, and by that point I had Yonobo, who was honestly more effective at dealing with them than uh, Riju was. Yeah, so. very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I was freaked out with them at first, but I ended up being all right. Um, Mm. But yeah, uh, in terms of Gleox, I had a I had a strategy I used with them that you feel free to nab at anyone who might still need to fight them for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, arrows is definitely the way to go, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Um, my trick was to if you have a certain fifth sage, then you can jump on and off of them. Uh, but the other way I did it was that you literally grab a hoverstone, put it in the air. Um, just above you, ascend up to it, jump off of it, and you're in um, bullet time at any given point. Right. Uh, Hoverstones are really good for getting into bullet time whenever you want it. Bullet time being basically the strongest thing in the game, mm. which they did slightly rework, which was cool. Yes, right. Um, it doesn't use up time if you're not doing anything, does it? Unlike Breath of the Wild. It, it only gives you stamina when you take a shot or something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's weird. Mm. Um, but yeah, like that was my way of dealing with Gleox. So I was terrified of them at first, of course. It took me a while to beat my first one. Same. But by the end of the game, I could literally beat them no hit without even, like, there was no sweat. Yeah. It was easy. It's satisfying to sort of figure out and get, get to, like, the right system that works for you in fighting them. Like, similarly, I, I didn't think of using the Hoverstone, which is a good idea. But um, I did, like, I'd always try and find some elevated ground to kick off with and use bullet time. It's a godsend in this game. But uh, yeah. let's let's admit you you teased them earlier. The, the most terrifying enemy in the game being the Gloomhound. Oh, I can't mm. even say it. Like nightmare fuel. We mentioned about there not being a guardian equivalent. I kind of forgot these guys existed yeah. until just now. These they are the guardian equivalent. I take what, back what I said earlier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are definitely the closest we've got. And when I feel like they're not quite. I wouldn't say they're quite the same. They're not as frequent as Guardians for a start, and there's not as many varieties. Yeah, they but, are um, different. But when I first... I just found one just on the hillside on the way to Kakariko Village was when I found my first one. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, the whole sky goes dark and the music kicks in, and I freaked out, like, what the heck is happening? Because <laughs> <laughs> Guardians, you know, we knew. we They were advertised in the game. We knew what they were. But this came out of nowhere, and... I didn't dare f fight one until I was like 60 hours into the game or something, I mean. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like people don't talk about them online as much. You know, everyone no. talks about the Guardians, hmm. but these guys, people don't talk about. So when, when anyone encounters them in the game, they don't know that they exist. Yeah. And that's the scariest <laughs> part. It's, it's honestly, it's a great time to watch anyone encounter them for the first time. Just the <laughs> panic to see on their face. It is um, good. Yeah. I, my first encounter with them was on the Great Plateau. There are some in the woods there. Mm. Um, and I, I was like, what the hell is this? I, I tried sort of sticking around to see what they were like. And the way that they chase you, dear God. The screams I mean, they make, was... yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like you say, the whole sky going red and like moving really quickly is terrifying. Mm. Um, so they did a really good job with that enemy, I've got to say. I think it's a brilliant existence. Yeah, really... Like you say, that was one of the biggest criticisms of Breath of the Wild, and I agreed with it. So that was a, a big step up from the last game. 
And I think let's transition this to what is probably the other biggest criticism that got addressed in Breath of the Wild, uh, from Tears of the Kingdom from Breath of the Wild. And that is the dungeons, where we got four dungeons which definitely felt a little more traditional. Now, I don't think this is... I don't think they're, you know, they're not quite like, you know, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword. They're, they're still a bit more simple. Yeah. And I think gameplay-wise, they kind of did feel very much like how Divine Beasts... I mean, it's the same system, right? Where you find four points you have to get to to open up the boss. Oh, right? it's the exact same concept. Yeah. yeah. But I do think that the atmosphere went a long way. And like the, the, the change in designs and them not all being the same visually i think really really made a big difference especially like the whole the rito area i think is easily the strongest of the four quests in my opinion where the whole build-up we're climbing up to it with like the ships and the music gets more and more exciting as you ascend it and then you dive down into the big ship itself and the way i mean we haven't talked about the music yet really the music's great in this game and the way it changes as you get another layer or you know you you access another key to the dungeon it all feels so epic and it kind of like i didn't hate divine beasts and this isn't quite traditional zelda dungeons but it did what divine beast did in a much more satisfying way i felt yeah i agree you know i, I think the general i mean i i liked the divine beasts from yeah. the start the bosses were kind of disappointing but i i really liked the mechanics in that Mm. Um, and this game does do a similar thing, but without controlling the Divine Beasts, obviously. But that was because they gave them all a unique identity. Uh, yeah, which, like you say, is a very good thing uh, to make them all distinct from each other this time, rather than having all the same aesthetic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought they all did something really good with that. You know, the, um, Stormwind Arc was definitely the strongest in terms of the climbing up where the music joins it. Like you say, the boss music there, which we'll get to, was great. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, even the others, like, you know, diving into Death Mountain for the first time. Yeah. Fighting Queen Gibdo early, or, you know, the, all, all the stuff, um, mm. you know, in the Zero Grab with Zora's Domain. It was like, all of them had something that made it pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, they each had, like, the fact, uh, you yeah, know... Stormwind Dark was elite. <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, the fact that there's a dungeon in the depths is cool. There's two in the sky and one on the land. Like, they got all the areas covered. A lot of people, like... Yeah. The um, I don't know, spirit temple, whatever you call it, in the Gurudu Desert, because it's that one is the most like traditional Zelda game, I think, which was neat. Um, yeah, but they they all had something unique to them. It was a nice feeling, and the bosses, like oh god, Colgera is honestly like it's such an easy boss. You don't even have to use weapons for it, but yeah, it's one of my favorite Zelda bosses. Just when you dive down through it and the music swells, that <laughs> that's like my favorite moment of. The entire game, I think, is that fight. Um, to be honest, really, with you. wow, it, okay. If not my favorite, I'm be honest, I came out of that fight like feeling kind of weird. Like, mm. obviously, the music was amazing and the boss design was great. Yeah, and jumping through the, you know, if you want to dive into it, you can. I used arrows. I did think it was too easy, though. I think all of the bosses were way too easy. Yes, I do think, with the exception of potentially the final boss, but we'll, I guess we'll get to that a little bit later. But, um, oh yeah, the final boss is a different story. Yeah, yeah that's true. The other bosses were yeah, they were nothing too amazing. I thought I liked them all, and I think they were a step up from the the wraiths overall. You know, I think it was um, uh, uh, were they wraiths. What were they was did I get that right? Blights. 
Uh, the Blights. Damn it. It's close enough. The Wraiths or <laughs> Pikmin. <laughs> Same Zelda, Pikmin, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, they were a step up. I do think they were quite simple, and none of them really... I don't think any of the others stood out to me in a massive way. Like, oh god, the water one, the octopus thing, is just kind of annoying, getting caught in the sludge. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun fight. It kind of felt a bit jokey, which I, yes, I actually it did. appreciate on that. Yeah, but for me, it was the tone of it. I think, like, say that one felt jokey, but Calgera just when you like dive through it, avoiding the things, and you just crash through its whatever you call those crevices in there. It just felt so yeah. epic. I think was the, <laughs> it's like it's a very simple fight. It doesn't come close mechanically to like again the Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess boss fights and that kind of thing. But um, it was just, it had a good vibe to it, is maybe the best thing I could say about these boss fights. They really nailed that vibe in a better way than the Divine Beasts, um, which I, which is why I think, even though it may not be exactly what people wanted, it was a good compromise overall, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would agree on all of that. No real added notes to that. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, do you want to talk about the final boss now, or do you want to lump that in story? What do you think, Kai? I think we put that in story later yeah. down the line. Let's to leave be that... honest, I think this might be a thing that we split into to two videos at this point. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it's, it's probably worth doing. Uh, do, shall we? Shall we yeah. do an outro now? Shall we? <laughs> uh, I think so. I think that'll probably be the best way of doing it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so this, as you can see, ended up being longer than we expected. So this is the end of our <laughs> gameplay discussion of Tears of the Kingdom. A lot to break down, but. Of course, we still have to talk about the story yet and sort of the way that wraps up, yep. including the final boss. So we will get to that in the next discussion. Until then, do check out the rest of our channel because as well as Tears of the Kingdom, we have a regular monthly podcast and we talk about, we have reactions to Nintendo Directs and any other big gaming news as usual. And Kai, where else can yep. people find you at? Uh, they can find me at twitch.tv forward slash Faskarine, uh, where I don't know what I'm streaming at this point, we'll find <laughs> out. Uh, but, you know, I'm always happy to bring up uh, non-spoiler Tears of the Kingdom stuff there, because some people might not have played it yet. Um, but yeah, we will definitely follow up this conversation, talking about the story, and we'll probably try and think up anything we may have missed in this one, yes. uh, and tag it on there. Depending on when this comes out, there possibly comments could help with that. I don't know the schedule for this. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to basically encompass everything in that second one, mainly talking about story. Yeah, so do stay tuned to our channel, subscribe of course, to stay tuned for all of that upcoming stuff, and we'll hopefully do even further Tears of the Kingdom coverage in the future, with maybe some unique game ideas. We're, we're thinking up stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely check it out, and uh, until then, goodbye! See ya! <laughs>